0: free. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king." They neither serve you, your gods, nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abed- Abednego, so these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zephyr, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O king." But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: And uh, we continue looking at the book of Daniel, and this time we come to chapter 3 which doesn't mention him, Um, but it does, his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who face a mighty challenge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at this uh, passage from the uh, book of Daniel, that you would uh, grant us understanding, and may we apply things we learn to our lives for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, the key verse, I think, in this chapter is 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. It would be very hard to find a better example of fidelity to God in the whole of the Bible. They were faced with the challenge of totalitarianism. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler of the Babylonian Empire and he needed to unite this expanding empire politically and in time-honoured tradition he used religion to achieve it. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, made this image I was gonna say as tall as Rob, but it's even taller. It's 90 feet high, and it's nine feet wide, even wider than me. (laughs) So this is this dirty, great, big uh, gold image that he set up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And then he he summoned all the uh, basically important people, (coughs) the people who ran his empire and all other provincial officials, he says to come to the dedication of the image that he'd set up. So having been appointed regional governors, these three Hebrews were now part of that call-up. And we read verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, As soon as you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And here we see something of the resolution of these young men, because what are they going to do? You see, they were happy to be, although they weren't Babylonians, they were Hebrews, they were happy to be government officials, because almost any government is better than no government. Just look in the last 10, 20 years, or any period in history when um, anarchy has reigned, and you'll be quite convinced that some kind of government is better than anarchy. So they were happy to serve the king as rightful ruler, but in this instance the king has gone too far for their consciences to bear. They would not be able to breach this second commandment which reads, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So it is a head-on binary clash, if you like, between their God and their king. So their choice was disobey the king, or offend their God. And faced with that choice, we read that they determined to obey God rather than man. But notice they didn't seek martyrdom, they didn't announce their non-compliance. They were ratted on by their rivals, the astrologers, who had been humiliated in chapter 2 by Daniel and then passed over by Nebuchadnezzar, who had seen that they were charlatans. Verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. Suck up line, if ever there was one. You have issued a decree, O King, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing fire. In other words, you know, you're holding the king to account for the kind of edict he's already said. And now comes the bit that they really want enacted. Verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is pretty hacked off with this. And we read, 13, furious with rage, he summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the horn etc etc and all kinds of music you if you are ready to fall down and worship the image i made very good but if you do not worship it you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace then what god said will be able to uh, so then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand Well, he's obviously either got a short memory because presumably the answer to his own question was that it would be the God of Daniel uh, because Daniel had been able not only to interpret his dream, chapter 2, but God had revealed the content of that dream which Nebuchadnezzar had told nobody. And whilst that God impressed him, presumably, it didn't impress him enough, because he probably thought preserving human beings in an iron smelter was really too much for any deity, which was probably not an unreasonable presumption if you were in his shoes. But notice, though, how although Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, trust that their God could save them if they were thrown into the furnace, they didn't presume that he would. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not... Now You think that the the heritage that they had, particularly if Daniel and uh, his friends were in a position to know of the exploits, for example, in the days of uh, Elijah and Elisha, or even more spectacularly, in the days of Moses, when God did... uh, if you like, miraculous plague after plague in order to liberate the people if they were familiar with uh, those events and if they knew that uh, the God who was behind them, then they could have confidence that he could do it. But they did not presume that he would do it then and there for them. There wasn't any kind of name it and claim it kind of stuff, no automatic presumption. In fact, the outcome was actually irrelevant to their resolve. We want you to know, O king, they say, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They are confident of rescue, even if it is incineration, followed by life afterwards with God himself. But regardless of whether they will be spared death now, or be consumed by the fire, they are not going to sell out on their first call, which is loyalty to their God, and all credit to them for doing so. So let's explore how this little incident uh, might help us profit. While our emphasis this evening is on the lessons we learn from the lives of these young men, remember that the dominant note is that it is all part of God working out his plans and his purposes. And we'll see here that the effect of this is to attest that these Hebrews, these three guys, and Daniel, who is perhaps their leader, that these guys, they speak from the true God, the real God. That's the purpose behind this astonishing miracle which is nowhere repeated in the Bible. So, there are some obvious tension points which must have tempted their resolve. They must have, uh, there must have been a sense of obligation or even duty towards Nebuchadnezzar. After all, he had selected and arranged the training at his expense of these guys. And then he had deployed them to positions of real significance in his empire, real responsibility and with it, authority. And their lot in life was a great deal better than those left back in Judah or in the refugee camps of uh, Babylon. They were grateful and they would have had a sense of duty. What they had was really a good job, a good position, where they could also, they realized, do some good. Might not that justify them in a little nod to this statue that the king has set up? And then there's peer pressure. If they thought back in their recent history, they would have been well aware that their fathers in Judah, led by their religious leaders, had voluntarily erected idols of their own and worshipped them in preference to their own god, Yahweh. So would it be so bad since they are now under compulsion to just bow their heads in honor of their ruler let this one pass why not and then there was uh, political correctness or which they even had in their day because all the other guys all the other uh, satraps and prefects and governors etc They were all going along with what the king wanted. So was it so bad if they were to do so? And of course, the fear of the consequences, the prospect of imminent and painful death, would concentrate their mind. These were the challenges which they were up against as they faced this situation. And the outcome. Well, they've made their stand that there's that's their resolve regardless of the outcome. And we read 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up these three guides. And we see that these persecutors were punished. Now I hope I'm not reading too much into this. But if Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had died we have, would have thought that the soldiers death the guys who were sort of manhandling them into the furnace was an accident but the three hebrews survive and the soldiers are killed a sign of god's judgment on those carrying out the wrong and then there's the divine rescue and the now and the not yet these three guys as i flagged up have complete faith in their all-powerful, their omnipotent God, and they're certain he will rescue them. What they don't know is whether that will be now and they will escape death or whether it will be not yet. In other words, they will die. But beyond death lies for them escape from judgment and exclusion from the presence of God occasionally in biblical history, something of the not yet, something of the life to come, of the other world, comes into the now. And that is usually when God is attesting the words spoken by his prophets of the Old Testament and his apostles of the New Testament, who have a message for all people, for all time, from God. It is God's way of saying, Moses, he is speaking from me. Nobody else can do the things he has done. Or Elijah, or Elisha, or Daniel in this case, and his friends, or of course supremely in Jesus and in the apostles. The Bible speaks of God enabling them to do these things because it's his way of attesting these guys, saying, these are my authoritative spokesmen. Listen to them. So on this occasion, as part of the uh, advancing of God's plans, a miracle from the realm of the not yet invaded the world of the now. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, we read 24, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the highest god, come out, come here. So they did. They came out of the fire. There was deliverance. And there's what is called a theophany, which is an occasion when God takes on human form to be among his people. In their trials, in particular, something literally happened which illustrates what is usually an unseen truth, that God is with his people And the sentence is reversed. The highest God is acknowledged. Then Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, the outcome, verse 28 said, Praise be to the God of these three guys who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. And Judaism, their religion, is recognized, 29. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. And the faithful are promoted, verse 30. Then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. And everyone gets to hear about it. 27, all of the satraps, prefects, and all the rest of them, crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Well, in one sense, it's a hard story to believe but God does in history act miraculously it is part of his way of revealing himself to us and having it recorded so that we later down the centuries can know and we're either faced with the choice of uh, reckoning that he is capable of doing this these sorts of things it's probably easier to um, believe they happened because they are rare Even though, of course, unless, of course, you believe that uh, Jesus was God and he was resurrected from the dead. If you accept that, you'll be able to accept this. But if you don't accept that, you'll never be able to accept this. But the outcome, all the top bods from throughout the empire had been brought to Babylon to pledge their allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar's new God. But what actually happened? Instead... They all go back home to tell their provinces about the real God. Very smart God. So, some reflections on that. Civil and religious liberty should not be taken for granted. Charles Simeon, preaching in the 1820s, said, What a privilege it is we enjoy civil and religious liberty. We have no power over us to make such cruel edicts. We are not subject to the decrees of a capricious tyrant. We all can worship God according to our conscience and without restraint. He points out that this, uh, this was true for, uh, for all other Christians and those of other religions and none too. It was something he appreciated. He says, oh, let us bless our God that the rights of conscience are respected. That is surely the sign of any civilized society. But it's one of those liberties which we're in danger of losing. The right of habeas corpus, which means literally let's have the body, was severely under threat a few years ago when the government wanted to introduce detention without charge for up to 56 days. In the wrong hands, that could be very draconian. And then there are some in, uh, if you, in the health establishment of our country who would love to do away the right of health professionals to opt out of anything to do with abortion, even if they have conscientious objection to it. Or you may have heard a few years ago of the outcry against the state-funded National Adoption Agency, the British Association for Adoption and Fostering's Pink Guide to Adoption for Lesbians and Gay Men, which stated that people who have concerns about the adoption of children by gay couples, are, quote, retarded homophobes, which in plain English is a way of describing, retarded would be a way of them using the word to describe people who we would call who have additional needs or special needs. And homophobes merely means that you fear homosexuals, All Those things are erroneous and quite insulting. Tory MP Julian Brazier, who was at the time the chairman of the All-Party Commons Group on Adoption and Fostering, said, I work with BAAF all the time and I know how much they bring to adoption. I must say I am very sad that they should use this language about people who have an honest disagreement with them. And author Patricia Morgan, who has published a study of gay adoption, said, it is disgraceful that they do not wish to discuss the pros and cons of gay adoption. They just go in for abuse. They do not appear interested in evidence about the outcomes for children. And it is a disgusting phrase to use. If the writer of that guide had had something similar written against her views as a lesbian, she may well, like others, have complained to the police who may have then have paid them a visit. That happened to the Bishop of Chester a few years ago, and that is pretty heavy stuff having a visit from the police, even if you are a public figure and have done nothing wrong by expressing simply a contrary viewpoint because it is only incitement to hatred that is against the law. Fortunately, we do still have freedom of speech and debate so long as we do not disturb the peace. And this is all tragic because Christian adoption agencies were forced to close as they did not think that placing a child with a same-sex couple was, quote, in the child's best interests. You see, you can't ask a baby or a little child um, what they would want for them. But you can imagine if that child were an adult, and you then ask them what they would have liked to have been decided for them. And I think that they would all want an arrangement which would give them the likelihood of the very best possible outcome for them. And you don't have to read much to discover. Take Lord Horsey for a start, a Labour peer. And evidence shows that on average, children are most likely to do best when they are brought up by a heterosexual married couple in a long-term relationship on average, exceptions always, but that's the evidence and we should argue for the best outcome for the child. That is an area in which we are up against, if you like, an increasingly strong uh, society with views contrary to ours. Now, whether the debate is over the care and nurture of children, or over whether Christ rose from the dead or not, where different religions and none um, have come to a contrary conclusion, debate has to go on, and in public, and in an intelligent way, looking at the evidence for many of these kind of social um, issues in our society. If we're Christians and we're in a secular environment, we don't go quoting the Bible, because they don't recognise that as an authority. But that's our Christian worldview. And we would expect to find that um, if we do what God intends in practice, it will have the best results. So we argue from the evidence of the results which we see. To have such debates closed down by intimidation is surely to be resisted by argument, or our freedoms will be lost. The Christian Institute is uh, one of those at the forefront of uh, this particular um, position, and uh, their website is dead easy to find. It's simply christian.org.uk and there are a lot of useful resources on there. Not all countries enjoy the liberties that we enjoy. We should be thankful that we do, and we should ensure the protection of them for the benefit of everyone. Now, a sense of divine accountability benefits society. When uh, Tony Blair and George Bush once, uh, uh, when they met each other, Jeremy Paxman, later asked Blair, did you pray together? That was not a benign question. But who can stand against tyranny? Who uh, can face up to the despot? Now there have been and still are courageous secularists who have, but I think historically it's more likely to have come from those who take their value system from God and allow him to transform their minds rather than allow the prevailing outlook to squeeze them into the the world's worldview. Those who know there is a bigger picture outside of time, that there is a God and the strength which comes from sharing his values and having him with you as you make your stand, knowing that if you lose now, you will still be on the winning side in the not yet world. It was that strength that gave uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn the ability to take his stand against the Soviets before the war came down and to express in his writings one word of truth outweighs the whole world, which it did eventually. The same source of strength was drawn upon by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who spoke up against Hitler and was executed in the last days, the last few weeks of the Second World War. And as he was being taken off by his guards, he knew what was coming. And he said to one of the other prisoners who was left behind, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. The stand of such Christians and their sacrifice ensures a better world for all of us. And finally, we're better off with God. If you do ever have to suffer for righteousness, there is nothing to fear. If we are on God's side, we are going to be on the winning side in the end. Even if we have to suffer in this life, we are told that even that is a refining process and we will turn out a better person for it. Now think how awful it is to oppose God and to lose out on being with him forever. Remember what he says in the Old Testament in Samuel, He who honours me, I will honour, says the Lord. And as the ascended Lord Jesus Christ said to the church of Ephesus, in the first century. He said, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Well, may it not turn out ever to be as tough as all that for us, but if it was, let's pray that we might have the same resolve as these young Hebrews. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we in our country um, have um, a Christian life without enormous drawbacks, that we're not under tremendous persecution, opposition. We do have to argue our case, and we do may have to suffer kind of um, some ridicule and some uh, unfair misrepresentation. But we do pray tonight for our brothers and sisters in parts of the world for whom uh, being a Christian can at times be a life and death issue. And we pray that they would follow the examples of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in being faithful to you, knowing that you are in control, that you will win out in the end and it is always best and right and true to side with you. May we have similar courage in our softer situations. Amen.